by, by focusing on this case study methodology, you basically look at a business or a business problem as a story. That's, you know, that it's, a, it's a puzzle with these different pieces. And the key to figuring out the problem, the core issues, it's not having the right answers, it's having the right questions. You're listening to the B2B Growth Think Tank, the show that brings you the virtual hot seat where each week my expert guests and I help another business leader by masterminding actionable solutions to a specific challenge they're currently trying to solve in their business. So if you're looking for answers to a specific challenge that you're facing, that if you could solve in the next 90 days would have a huge impact on your growth, send it in to thinktank at thinklikeafish.co.uk and we'll see if we can feature you on the show. My name is Adam King, your host and the captain of the ship of growth consultancy Think Like a Fish. And if you're ready to rethink what's possible for your business and discover the growth strategies, advice and insight to turn this new vision into a reality, let's get started. Hey, Adam here, and thanks very much for tuning in. And as you are, I'm going to make the assumption that you are responsible for generating revenue for an established B2B professional service business, and you're looking to grow your revenue. So what I've got for you, you're going to absolutely love because I've recently released my new revenue multiplier calculator and bonus training where using this tool and following the training, you'll discover how to uncover the hidden revenue opportunities in your business and be able to systemize your growth using seven revenue multipliers that can double your business in 12 months or less. So if you want to go and grab your copy, go to thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash calculator. Now on to today's episode. Hello and welcome to the B2B Growth Think Tank. Now, I have to tell you that the marketing geek in me is literally jumping up and down in excitement right now because the conversation I'm about to have with my guest today is going to be fantastic. And I know you'll understand why by the end of this episode as well, because joining me to talk business growth is a globally recognized author, speaker, podcaster, business consultant whose work sits at the intersection of marketing, technology and humanity. Now, when I say globally recognized, I really mean globally recognized because here's just a small list. He's constantly listed amongst the top 10 marketing influencers in the world. He's the seventh most mentioned person by CMOs on Twitter. He's among the top 10 most retweeted marketing authorities in the world. He's regularly sought out for his expertise on media channels such as CNN, The Wall Street Journal, New York Times, CBS News. He's the best-selling author of nine popular books, including his the very first book on influencer marketing, which is Return on Influence, Marketing Rebellion Known, and his latest excellent book, Cumulative Advantage, How to Build Momentum for Your Ideas, Business and Life Against All Odds. And his blog, Grow, it's one of the top five marketing blogs in the world. And his podcast, The Marketing Champion, is one of the top 10 marketing podcasts podcasts on Apple and has over 1.2 million downloads. Now, honestly, that is the short version. But what I want you to understand, and one of the things that I've seen through my guest work, is that there is one principle that runs through not only all of these accolades and his success, but, but throughout his 30 years plus research experience and wisdom. And that is success is available to anyone when they focus on building relentless momentum. So if you want to know how to apply this principle to create your own cumulative advantage, 
and pay close attention as I am both excited and genuinely honoured to welcome Mark Schaefer to the show. Mark, welcome. I am delighted to be with you today, Matt. Adam, thanks for having me. It's a, as I say, it's a genuine pleasure and I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. And obviously I've gone through a, it genuinely is a short list of, of your accolades and, and, and looking at some of the things that you've achieved in your career and all that kind of thing. And honestly, my, day, my ADHD is going a little bit nuts right now because it's like, where do I go with this conversation? So I thought I'd like to start by asking you through all of that, through all the 30 years and all the rest of it, is there anything that surprised you? about your journey, about your career? Oh, well, oh, it's been constant surprises, really. I mean, I think the biggest surprise was, um, is really the impact of, of me as a, as a personal brand. Um, when I was working in the corporate world, I worked for a, a Fortune 100 company for many years, you know, and you're kind of buried in the company, right? I mean, people outside the company don't really know what you're doing. They don't really know what you're achieving. And uh, so uh, in 2008, I started my own business. I started consulting, started teaching. And because social media was taking off back then, I started the blog. I wanted to immerse myself in social media so I could understand it and teach about it, consult about it. And the blog sort of took off and that led, as you mentioned, to books and the books led to public speaking and the public speaking sort of, you know, you create a certain um, notoriety when you're up on a stage. And when I first started my business in 2008, I mean, it creating like a personal brand or being invited on a podcast like this was never even in my mind. In fact, writing a book was never really in my mind. That might seem like strange, a strange thing. I was started out as a journalism major, but even with that, I, I, I really didn't have a goal, you know, to write a book. So the path after my career uh, in the corporate world, really the whole thing has been a surprise. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's interesting because I think when people look at somebody that has the success and the accolades, they, they kind of might make an assumption that it's all been sort of a grand plan or something like that. And this is exactly how you've seen things. But from what you've just gone through there and also through reading your latest book, it doesn't work like that. And no. and, and it's a lot of the time, it never it's works random. Like it's random, it isn't is. it? And that's one of the things that I think, first of all, it's I think it's a big part of the hope in this book is that um, and the encouragement I think people will get from the book Cumulative Advantage. And if we look at all the people we admire and we look up to, they didn't start that way. <laughs> I mean, they didn't start well-known. They didn't start famous. They didn't start out as guests on a podcast, right? I mean, I, I gave, you know, I go all around the world now giving speeches. I gave my first public speech. Now, when I was in the corporate world, of course, I did presentations, I did guest lectures at, you know, maybe universities, but my first public speech um, was at some community group here in Knoxville, Tennessee. It was a free talk to like, it was like a Lions Club or something, right? And that's how everybody starts. Nobody starts at the top. 
you, you, you've got to earn your way. You've got to earn the invitations. And that comes through some random opportunities. And it also comes through diligent and consistent effort. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I think we also share a bit of a, uh, you know, judging by the, uh, uh, the the book as well, a bit of a man crush on Tim Ferriss um, because oh, I wouldn't kind of, <laughs> well, you know, a respect. Let's call yeah. it a respect. Oh, Let's yeah, do that. Awesome Have you met him, by the way? Is he is he someone you know? Or is this is somebody that you researched um, from afar? No, I'll tell you a funny story. <clears throat> um, so, <clears throat> for your excuse me, I'm a little hoarse this morning. It's big time allergy season here in America. Everything's in bloom. So, um, so a little bit of background about why Tim Ferriss is important in this book. So cumulative advantage is really shows how every behind every business person, every successful uh, person or every successful business is something sort of random. And, and, but once you learn how momentum is created, once you understand the pattern that, that really, I think is accessible to everyone. So I was looking for people who kind of demonstrated this. I went down this rabbit hole and just started thinking of well-known people and looking at their background to see how did it work? How did they get there? Where did they start? How do I see this pattern emerging? And I can't even remember why, but I started reading about Tim Ferriss. Maybe he was in the news or something. And I thought, well, here's this guy. He, he's, a, he's a multimedia celebrity. And I started reading about his background and there was absolutely nothing there that would, you know, portend his success, that would indicate here is a person destined for greatness. And I'm not saying anything that Tim hasn't said himself, but, you know, he was a sickly child. He was bullied in school. Um, he had really health problems and emotional problems, psychological problems, relationship problems. And he got to a point where he was having a mental breakdown, shucked everything, went to Europe to try to find himself, had this idea for a book, came back to America, was rejected by 26 publishers. And now 10 years later, he's hanging out with Hugh Jackman, LeBron James, Oprah. No one would have predicted that. So it's just like, what the heck happened to this guy? How in the world? And as it turns out, he followed this path of momentum exactly. It wasn't probably a conscious thing in his part. It's probably not a conscious effort on anyone's part. But as I did the research, there is definitely a pattern to how momentum happens. So in the book, I set up sort of this whimsical race between myself and Tim Ferriss Who's going to become famous, right? We both all start, we both started out <clears throat> about the same time. Now, when I realized that I'm going to use this sort of literary device in my book to pull people through my book, stage by stage by stage, I thought, you know what? I really need to reach out to Tim and let him know what's going on here. And I, I don't know him. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he's at least heard of me because we kind of go in some of the same, same circles. So I went on his website <clears throat> to try to figure out 
how do I get a hold of this guy? And basically, the message on his website is, I am stepping away from the media scene. I'm not really answering emails or phone calls. The best way and only way to get a hold of me is through Twitter. All right. So I sent him a tweet, said, hey, Tim, hope you're well. I'm writing a book about you. <laughs> Thought you'd like to know. Let's connect. Now, the other thing that happened is a lot of people saw my tweet and they were sort of intrigued by this. And so the tweet was retweeted. And some people said, Tim, you really need to you know, contact with Mark. These are my two favorite marketers coming together. This is going to be awesome. Never heard from the guy. <laughs> yeah. wow. So anyway, I, but I, I think eventually he'll see the book if he hasn't seen it already. And I think he'll be proud of the work that I did uh, because, you know, I did a lot of meticulous and thorough research on this. And, uh, and again, it, it was sort of easy to tell his story because he has been so transparent and, you know, in, in, in telling the story himself. And it's a great story. It is. And, and, and what's great about it. And, and also you can see the thread runs through a lot of, um, what you do and, and, you know, from the podcast, you've got these funny sort of intros when you, um, you know, when you're introducing a topic and, uh, what is the one I went? It's something about like your obsession with feet or, or how wonderful your feet are and, and things like that. Like it's just funny little things that kind of go through. And it's, I even heard you describe it. It's, it's not even, um, it's not entertainment or information. You're edutaining. Is that the right right phrase? And and I'm yeah. sure that's sort of fed into some of your um your success and and sort of people picking you up and and all that kind of thing. But I think when it comes to thinking about really the story behind Tim and and and, and ultimately the message in your book, I think on first glance you could look at it and think right cumulative advantage. Doesn't that just mean the rich get richer and the poor get poorer? And is that just depressing or, you know, oh my God, because like, no. you could, you could, you could interpret it like that. However, what you do is unravel that and actually show that it's not about where you start. It's not about being born with that silver spoon, because let's be honest, the only people that are famous are the people that are born into royal, you know, the royal family. Like, they're the only ones that start with that kind of following. That's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah, they, they would be the exception. Yeah. It's one of those things that you actually then start to see that there are things, yes, there are natural advantages that we all have, but that's always been the case. I mean, there's random things that happen, where we're born, who we're born into, what country, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think you even used the example of, um, you know, the, it was it Malcolm Gladwell and Outliers talks about the hockey players and the NHL and, and all the rest of it. And when right. you're born determines the yeah. amount of coaching you get because of your physical size and all the rest of it. You yeah. don't actually attribute so much of what you have to, let's be honest, dumb luck sometimes because right. dumb luck is where you're born. Right. Yeah. That's a remarkable case study. Yeah. A great example. So if somebody were to be originally sort of viewing it with that sort of like, oh my God, that's depressing. How do you sort of unpack that to sort of show? Because the book ends on a, on a real hopeful note that, this is available to anyone. Well, I hope that, I mean, that's what I spent two years figuring out, right? Because um, when I dove into the original research, um, the, the, the idea of, of cumulative advantage was, was, was created by this famous sociologist named Robert Merton. And 
he said, look, if, if, you're, if you have these initial advantages in your, in your life and you sort of play your cards right, these advantages will continue to grow and grow and grow and grow. And the gap between your, you and your competitors will never close and unless there are countervailing processes. But he didn't say what they were. And it was just like, I became obsessed with this because basically he's saying there's a way to go around the system. So I actually uh, contacted his son. And uh, this is a great irony because Robert Merton did his original research on this idea of cumulative advantage with Nobel Prize winners. And he showed that these, these scientists weren't necessarily the greatest scientists, but they had some advantage that sort of propelled them into this momentum. And one, once they won the Nobel Prize, there was no stopping them, right? You Now you're going to get everything forever. So I contacted his son. I said, look, I'm writing this book that features your dad. And he, he, he talked about these countervailing processes. I've read everything I can. I've listened to all his speeches. He doesn't say what they are. He said, well, I'm not really the person you should talk to. You need to talk to my stepmother. She was the researcher on the project. Mm-hmm. She's still alive. She teaches at Columbia University. So I contacted her. And, and she was really happy to hear from me because she's still working on this stuff. So she sent me all these unpublished papers. They've never seen the light of day because all these ideas have been in academia and they haven't been applied to our real lives and our real businesses. So that's what I unraveled. It's like, all right, how do we go around this system? I don't want to accept that this is just a predetermined thing. Uh, And so that's really what I built the book on. And it was based on academic research. It was based on case studies. It was based on my own original research. And I kind of put together this this system. And I think it's it's solid. I think once you understand this pattern of momentum, you will not see the world the same way ever again. You'll, You'll start seeing, you'll meet someone and you'll start saying, oh, yep, that's how it started. That's how they had help along the way. Same with businesses. This pattern repeats over and over and over again. And if you understand how it works, you kind of know what your options are to create momentum for your own life and ideas and business. As you touched on there, like it's it's it kind of like it comes from a spark, or I think you describe in the book. There's a seam sometimes where you sort of go, "Oh, what's that?" and you unpick it, and then you unpick it and go da 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 da. Yeah. It's small events, chance encounters, tragedy in in a life. Um, yeah. You know, people like uh, you know, you look at some of the you know people like Tiger Woods, for example. You think, well, you know, he should, his dad put a golf club in his hand at two years old and had him swinging and right. started doing all those things. And it's like that was a chance. Like if his dad hadn't done that, right, he wouldn't be Tiger Woods. And Tiger Woods. exactly, it's mm-hmm. it's kind of like we do sometimes sort of forget that. That is the catalyst, but it's the momentum that brings them to where they are. And it is that relentless focus on the momentum because, you know, just using the example of Tiger Woods, if he hadn't sort of embraced it and found it to be his passion and um, is it is it Inagi or uh, is it a word that you use in the book that, it, that describes that passion? Ikigai, yeah. Ikigai. 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 I'm not Japanese. I don't yeah. speak. <laughs> Me either, but that's the only word I know. There's, there's, there's a few things that go into it. 
and it's where it's it is the combination of all of that 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 helps and and also something that came across and it is a a real deep seeded belief that i have um it's it's sort of the whole thing around this this podcast and what i do it's it's a riding tide lives uh, lifts all ships right it's that you can't do everything alone and in isolation and all the rest of it you have to sort of work with other people and it's all about collaboration because even if you are a, a, a successful individual, there's an entire team below you, like underneath the water that you don't see. Someone like Tiger Woods, the entire team that has got in there. And I think that that doesn't necessarily give get enough exposure or credit. So people think self-made man and they think self-made man. Whereas, well, yeah, I really explore that very deeply in the book because that is sort of a toxic mythology and and um, and by the way, of course, I also make this point in the book that, you know, I do not dismiss hard work, tenacity, taking risks. Look, that still matters. It really does. But the fact is, and 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 I also want to emphasize that all these things that we're talking about are not like my ideas, right? This is all based on research. Uh, you know, I, I I I you mentioned Malcolm Gladwell, and I think I sort of connect my style very much to Malcolm Gladwell, where you know, he'll tell a story, he'll make a point, he'll connect the dots, but behind all of that, all those stories, he'll go, pow, here's the research behind it, right? He'll tell this long story and they'll say, well, of course, there's a study from Stanford University that showed in 1968, blah, 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 right? And so it, it, it's it's not just that I'm, exploding these mythologies because I have some agenda or something. It's, is that this is really just connecting the dots of the research to show how the world really works. And sometimes it's not what we think. No. And, and, and it kind of comes back to sort of how you asked the answer, the question around the, the surprise of your career, because you can't necessarily plan things out to a, you know, to an exact science and all the rest of it. If you have curiosity though, and if you have that connection with what it is that you're trying to do or achieve or whatever it is, but you have the curiosity to pursue things that you wouldn't necessarily have thought of and, and have the humbleness to almost sort of say, okay, well, my original thinking wasn't right. So I'm going to shift this way because that's what, you know, the research is telling me or the, the market or my customer or, or, you know, bringing it into a business context. If you don't have that, then... Yeah, you're not going to build that cumulative advantage because you have to, I mean, I, I interpret it a little bit like you have to sort of have that cumulative advantage built on what you're doing, but also on the feedback that you're receiving to, to, to continue to sort of build on top of it. Yeah. Um, that, that, that's something that I took from it. Yeah, absolutely. You've obviously had a lot of people that you've, um, you, know, you, you take sort of inspiration from and all the rest of it. But one, one person I wanted to ask you about was the fact that you're one of the few people that have directly worked with under Peter Drucker, mm. one of the most famous management business consultants in the world, probably regarded as probably the best that's ever lived. Yeah. How is how has that access to somebody like that influenced how you sort of shaped your thinking, your view of the world, and, and ultimately what you've become today? Because that could be interpreted as a cumulative advantage. Potentially. Oh, it, it, yeah, it was life-changing. It was life-changing. And it's also a good example of, of sort of like th this idea of pursuit, that things don't happen unless you pursue them. You know, Peter Drucker was, was teaching in a very special MBA program at Claremont Graduate University in the Peter Drucker School of Management. They named the school after him. 
And um, he was, you know, at the at the end of his career, he was still writing, but he wasn't out traveling and consulting. And he was he was teaching these these classes. And so I applied for this program and I was rejected uh, two times. And the reason was is because I didn't have enough experience. They only let let like elite experienced professionals. Everybody in this program like had a title of vice president and had like silver hair, right? To study under Peter Drucker. So on the third time, I went to the Dean of the school and I said, I'm applying and I want to appeal to you that I think my rejection has been unfair. I'm appealing because I, on the case of equal opportunity, he said, what are you talking about? I said, I'm young. You don't have anybody in this program who's young. They're all, they all have silver hair. I, I think maybe at this time I was 27 or something like that, maybe 28. I said, I've got something to give. I've got something to contribute. He just laughed, let me into the program. <laughs> <laughs> I was the youngest person ever in this program, but that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't pursued and pushed and pushed and pushed. But clearly he was <clears throat> the wisest person I've ever known, clearly Un, unequivocally and and he, he talks in my head every week probably every day in some way because there you know, there's i studied under him for three years and so his lessons and his approach have just like been pounded into me mm-hmm. and you know i i so i i look at the world the way he does because that's that's that that's what he insisted he would mm-hmm. he would humiliate you if you didn't <laughs> And, I and also he's not the sort of person I can imagine you could come back with anything remotely witty that he would just not be able to shoot down again. Well, no, I mean, and, and, and here's one of the things that I, that I finally figured out. So he taught by the case study method. Hmm. So you would go through these you know, really, really in-depth case studies. And sometimes he would even have like executives from these companies come in and I mean, he could get anybody he wanted to come into his classes, right? So I kept working through these case studies and I'd write these papers and I kept getting Bs. But he also gave you another option that based on the topic of what we we're discussing, you could write your own case study. So I'm thinking, well, look, nobody knows these case studies better than Peter Drucker. I'm never gonna get an A, but if I write my own case study, I could, I bet I could get an A. So I actually have my papers graded by Peter Drucker and I finally got an A because <laughs> I did my own case. I, I figured out the system. And that's, that, that, that to me suggests that, I don't know, do you think that is a, a, inherent in the way that you think that you're always looking for ways of, of not breaking the system, but sort of testing it and then helping that system to self correct in a way? Um, is that a sort of a fair observation? Has that been part of you? Basically, my entire approach to consulting is is based on what he taught me. And so by, by focusing on this case study methodology, you basically look at a business or a business problem as a story. That's, you know, that it's, a, it's a puzzle with these different pieces. And the key to figuring out the problem, the core issues. It's not having the right answers, it's having the right questions. 
And he would get so angry if you tried to figure out these, the answers, because he'd say, what makes you so arrogant? These people in this case study, they've worked for this company 30 years. What makes you think you know more than they do? They know how to solve this problem. They're just not being asked the right question. So your role as a consultant is to ask the right questions. So that's the way I approach my consulting. As, and it's been a very, very successful. I'm very, very humble. And I, I guide people toward this, this, the solutions because they know the solutions. But they, they're just so tied into it. They can't, they can't see the truth. They can't see the forest for the trees. Somewhere in that company, somewhere in their hearts, they know what they need to do. It just needs to be unleashed. Yeah, one of my mentors uses the term, uh, you can't read the label from inside the bottle. And that's what you need sometimes. It's like you need somebody to help you, you know, get outside and, and, and actually see the label. And you only do that by asking the questions because you don't know so much. You know, they, they all have forgotten so much more than you will ever know. And yet your job is to help them remember it. I think that's, uh, you know, and, I mean, when it comes the, the sort of the last sort of question around Peter is that, I mean, what he's put out there is, is, is known and, and what he's most known for and all the rest of it. Is there something in, in what you learned from him or what you see him taught that you think is very, very valuable that people sometimes miss or might not quite understand from the, the, the core principles that he sort of um, spoke about and taught? Well, the, the, the two overarching things I take away from him is that he, there was no one maybe in history that could distill at the essence of something from complexity. That was his true brilliance, is that no matter how complicated, no matter how complex, he could distill it to its essence and, and make it manageable and make it, and make it doable. Uh, and so that's really the way I try to teach as well, is, is, is to like you know, try to weed through what seems to be overwhelmingly complex and look at what is really the essence. Because if we know the essence, then it's accessible. It's something that's actionable. Um, so that's, that's one thing that was the key to his brilliance. The other thing that a lot of people would never know about him is truly how kind of a man he was. He, I mean, he was like a grandfather. He was a grandfather. I mean, he, and he loved his grandchildren and his children and spending time with them. And here, you know, he, here's the greatest mind in business, the greatest business author ever. And, and we would just come by and stop by his office and talk. And, and uh, you know, he never turned anybody away. And uh, he, he was just an am amazing human being, uh, just a, a very, very amazing uh, human being and just a, a, a very, very kind and generous man. So he was a great role model, really, in, in every way as a human being. And, and, and I can certainly, you know, just, just listening to that and, and seeing some of the, what you wrote in, in, in your latest book and, and, and just simply being here, having this conversation on the podcast, like you've obviously embraced that kind of thing, the kindness and the generosity. And I know you, you volunteer and mentor kids and things like that. And, you know, you're generous with your time and 
you know, you talk in the book about mentorship and the value of it. And, and, and one of the ways to gain a cumulative advantage is to reach out, but reach up, search for mentorship. And, and not yeah. in the traditional sense that we might necessarily think about it, not necessarily a, you know, a, a, a specific sort of, you know, right, these are what we're going to do and blah, 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 sort of relationship. It's more of a, right, I'd like to continue the conversation and understand what goes on in your in your mind and how you, your, your mind works and, and maybe sort of get your feedback on things and all the, all the rest of it. And in return, I, I can add value to you in a different way. And sometimes that's just because people enjoy mentoring other people. But um, yeah, I, I can certainly see that. And do you, I am a recovering, um, <laughs> what's the best way of describing it? Um, somebody that had the arrogance of youth that um, didn't really appreciate that value of mentorship and, and, you know, really sort of asking for help and all the rest of it. So it, it, it took me a while to sort of wake up to that. So I think I, I realized in my 30s. Talk to me about, you know, other than, you know, maybe something like Peter Drucker, how can people use mentorship in, in a way that is valuable to them, but also to the person that is providing that mentorship? Is there, is there, or is a way of thinking about it rather than sort of specifics? Yeah. Even? Well, I, I think this is a, a really important part of my book. I challenge people to really reimagine what mentorship should be in this digital age. You know, the traditional, the definition of mentorship is a long-term relationship between a teacher and a student, right? You, you take someone under their wing and you shepherd them through the, a career. And I think that's really an anachronistic sort of view. If you need to learn something today, you don't need a mentor, you need YouTube, right? You can learn almost anything from, from YouTube. Hmm. The true value of mentorship today is opening up doors, opening up opportunities, making new connections that can lift you to the next level, right? The next level of momentum. And to do that, you don't need a long-term relationship. You don't need a long-term commitment. You need a little help right now. You need someone to bounce some ideas off of, right? And that can be once a year or once every two years but you just develop a, a trusting relationship with someone who can help you. And then they'll come alongside you at, at your, at your point of need. So, and there's an art and science about thinking about that, about finding the right people, about approaching them, about being a mentor yourself that, that takes you really exploding the old view of mentorship, which is still prevalent by the way. I volunteered to be a, a mentor at a, at a university, uh, my alma mater. And it was like, okay, it's a year long commitment and you need to sign this contract and you need to spend so much time a month and you need to go through tra a training program. Right? Sounds like a job. <laughs> it's a job. And no, but, and, and I, and, you know, after I, you know, agreed to do it, I was like regretting it because it's like, I don't, it is. It's like signing up for another unpaid position. Hmm. And it, it's, it, it turns people away. It turns people off and it's unnecessary. But what I was able to do when I mentored this young woman, what did I do? I made new connections. I made new introductions. I got her focus. I, you know, helped her connect to someone who could help her with, you know, build her first website, blah, 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 blah. So boom, I got her pointed in the right direction and felt really good about 
um, you know, my contribution to her career. But maybe I'll hear from her again. Maybe I won't. <laughs> you know, I don't know. But she knows I'm here to come alongside her at a point at a at a, at a point of need. Because that's almost a way, you know, thinking of you know what hacking the system or breaking the system or looking at the system and looking at where you know how it all fits together and all the rest of it. When it comes to things like mentorship and and thinking of it in terms of the cumulative advantage and all the rest of it, and you mentioned the word there, access, because that's what it's all about. Access becomes an asset. It's something that I've sort of a concept that I've played with. It becomes an an asset, but it also then becomes an accelerant. Now, it's access to a mentor, but then access to everything behind that mentor, the, the, you know, not, ju- not just the knowledge, but the connections. Like you talk about a sonic boom in a business, but having a mentor that makes one connection, it can literally change the trajectory of everything, like your right. life, your business, whatever that may well be, because they have that cumulative advantage in their Rolodex, in their network. And this is a way, I think, of, of thinking about it. And if anyone's sort of listening and going, right, okay, well, What's a potential way of, of sort of, you know, hacking this system or, you know, I hate that word and I've, I've used it a couple of times, but I hate it. But you know what I mean? It's like, this is one of the ways that you can really accelerate and, and create the sonic boom in something that you're working on. Quite, it's, it's powerful because access, 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 it's always that whole, you know, it's not, who, not, what, not what you know, it's who you know. It's always been there. And, and as you say, it's, it's kind of like researched and, you know, very few of us come up with anything new under the sun, but it's like how it's all put together. Yeah, I would, I would actually build on that and say it's, it's, it's today, it's also more of not who you know, but who knows you. You know, I think the power of the personal brand is, um, is, is I mean, that explains why I'm here with you today, right? I mean, it's just, um, it's just that you, you know of me because of my personal brand. So here I am on your show, reaching, reaching a new audience, sharing my ideas with, with, with new people who may become interested in me and check out my website and follow me on LinkedIn and maybe buy my books. And it starts, you know, it starts a new kind of momentum but that only came from, you know, building a personal brand. And there is definitely a connection. And I write about that in one of the chapters of the book is, is, is that there is, is a connection with the power of your brand and your ability to activate momentum. We'll dive into that a bit. Well, let's use, let's use me as an example. So the idea of, 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 of Sonic Boom is being able to create vast awareness very, very quickly for something that you're working on, a project, an idea, a business, a book, whatever it could be. Now, um, 10 years ago, if you had your show 10 years ago, and I had just written my first book, it's likely that you wouldn't have reached out to me because you really didn't know who I was. I was just starting out. And the idea of the sonic boom is to is, is to get people with powerful audiences, powerful voices and large audiences to sort of advocate for you and represent you. So this awareness cre- you know, works very, very quickly. Now, the more you're known in the world, the higher you can reach for help. So at the very beginning of my career, I, I couldn't really create a sonic boom. I could create like a sonic whisper. <laughs> and then, 
you know, I write my first book and people love my first book and they started talking about it. They started to become known. I, I, I created, you know, I blogged 650 weeks in a row without missing. I've had a podcast for nine years, never missed an episode. I've written nine books. I speak all over the world. So I am continuously, consistently creating great content, helpful content, generously helping people. And every, you know, and it's, there's no secret to it. Week by week, month by month, the success grows. The confidence, your brand builds and builds and builds. So, you know, now today, when I have a new book, I can be in Forbes, I can be an entrepreneur, I can be in, you know, big podcasts, big shows that, you know, you have to really be known to be in these shows. It's it's a wonderful example. And I think that it is that, you know, there is that cumulative relationship. But I think what a lot of people potentially miss is that there is no massive key to success. It is no. consistency. It's doing the right things over and over and over again. It's kind of like, you know, somebody that is consistent will outperform someone that is uh, just searching for the next big thing, the thing yeah. that is going to give them that sonic boom. Someone who's consistent will outperform someone who has a genius idea. That's exactly it. If you talk to people who are known in their fields, without exception, there wasn't any like rocket ship story. There's no like overnight success. Mm. It's just, it's, it, you know, in this, one of the stories I use in my book, and I, there's millions of stories, but I got to meet the fellas in the, in the band, the Black Keys. They're one of the biggest bands mm. in the world. They play arenas, you know, all over the world. And I, I got to meet them sort of when they were still playing shows that were like in front of 2000 people, but they just released a gigantic album and they were on their way up. And, and I said, what was the key to your success? Because I want to know, because I want to do that too. And, and Patrick Carney, the drummer, told me there wasn't anything. We just do a little bit better. Monthly, they said, we've made seven records. We've toured for seven years. Now, two years later, they were playing Madison Square Garden in New York. Their show sold out in 15 minutes. But that was year 10, <laughs> right? That's uh, you know, 10 years of an accumulation of an accumulation yeah. of an right. accumulation. I and mean, right now, you know, I'm in year 10 of my mm. personal brand building, right? Mm. So it, 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 there, the, I mean, there's, there's never really an overnight success. No, it doesn't exist. And, and I think the whole personal brand thing, I mean, my, I, I've, I've been open around it and, um, you know, I, I had this whole thing cause I came from corporate where I was like, you know, the man behind the curtain, never put myself out there and all the rest of it. And, and, and I was, I'm an introvert and, um, and all that kind of thing. And ne I never felt comfortable with it. And I never even had a, a picture of myself on my website for, for the first couple of years of, of doing what I, I do. And it wasn't, way. I was the same way. I started my business in 2008. I didn't have my, my picture on the front page of the website until 2016. <laughs> Wow, that makes me feel better anyway, <laughs> to, to, to know that I'm not the only one. And I'm not the only one. That's the thing, because it was going to an event um, in the UK and, and 
seeing sort of other people struggle with the same sort of thing. And, and I met a guy who's been on the podcast, Ian Anderson Gray, and he talks about live video and how to be confident and all the rest of it. And, and he just gave me a few little tips, a few little ideas. And I just went, you know what, I'm going to do it. Yeah, Almost good. because I wanted to show him that mm-hmm. his advice is good. Like, I know that sounds a bit weird, but it's like, no, I'm, I'm going to do this almost for him because I needed that outsider. Now that's the mentorship. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Often that's exactly. And, and, and also you could sort of put that in the cumulative advantage model too. That was what a conversation with Ian, right. That pushed you in and pushed you in a new direction that led to some sort of momentum. And creating a podcast, you know, having this conversation, it's all leading, you know, it's, it's all things have led up to it. And I've, I've interviewed well over a hundred people now, and this is the, one of my, my favorite parts of the week. It is genuinely the best thing that I've ever done because these, you know, you know, you're my mentor right now. Like this is, this is a conversation that I'm getting so much out of. I hope people eavesdropping on this are sort of like almost having the same experience because that's what I want to do with it. And I've had so many people that I've spoken to and, and, you know, I, I get to talk to them after the show, before the show and, and continue the relationship. And it's, it's without a doubt being the best thing that I've ever done, but it's giving me that cumulative advantage before I even had a term for it. <laughs> and, you know, the, the access thing and the mentorship kind of thing, you know, it was an introduction to you as well, like through someone else that has been on the show. So it's it's kind of like there's there's a lot in there and and I think I'm not I'm not suggesting everyone listens suddenly goes out and starts a podcast that's not what I'm saying I'm I'm sort of saying what can you take from this from this case study because I'm using myself as a case study and, and this conversation is it what can you take from it that you can apply to yourself or your own business to achieve what you're looking for how can you create your own cumulative advantage what can you do to gain access to somebody that can open doors and make contacts and opportunities because that's what it's all about. That that can start that momentum if you're feeling stuck or if you're, in, you know, if you're literally on that path where you're thinking, right, I really want to, you know, I'm building momentum, but I want to take off. Mm-hmm. How can you apply some of this to your situation? Because yeah. it's genuinely something that can, that can sort of transform everything. Yeah. Even a lot of people with, with existing businesses have read the book and they've said, oh my gosh, now I know why I'm stuck because I kind of got to this certain point and I didn't go to the next level. So e- even if you're, you have an existing business, it's, it's helping a lot of people. There's definitely a few head slapping moments when you read the book, you're like, Oh, duh, really? <laughs> I shouldn't have done that or I should have done that or, or anything like that. So it's, it's uh, honestly, there are so many things that, um, you know, I, I would love to ask you about, I have to respect your time. We didn't even get to the virtual hot seat. That's the first time, but I don't care. You know, we could do it. Uh, you know, if you like, I mean, I could spend a few more minutes, but if, if you need to wrap it up, I respect that. Hey, too. no, I'm, I'm, I'm more than happy to, uh, to, to sort of do it. I want to respect okay. your time. We'll do it quickly. For those of you that uh, may be new to the show, the virtual hot seat is where a listener sends in a, a challenge that they're facing or an opportunity that they're trying to maximize. And between the two of us, the guest and I will sort of bounce some ideas around. We'll not necessarily give you, you know, direct answers, but we will sort of almost help you ask yourself better questions about your situation. Maybe that's a great way of explaining it. So today's virtual hot seat is I run 
an account a, a, an accountancy firm and we have invested quite heavily in the last 12 months to creating content and while we're seeing a steady increase in website visits social engagement we're struggling to turn this into enough leads and ultimately clients that justifies the time and the budget invested is there a type of approach with uh, a type or approach with content that generally does best in terms of engagement but ultimately leads to a sale now i understand that this will differ from different businesses but i feel like we've missed something and I hoped you could perhaps clarify a few basic concepts to build from and maybe a few ideas for some practical steps to take. So first thoughts that come to mind, just sort of hearing that sort of challenge. And obviously we don't have the context and we can't clarify, but maybe it's more like when, when you hear people struggling with content, what generally are some of the things that they're maybe getting wrong or that they're missing or, or maybe they've sort of not quite understood? Because you, you, you've literally written books on content well, marketing. It could be a great number of things. Um, you know, and again, I, I can't really give specific advice without looking at their competition and, their, and what they're doing. But so number one is, <clears throat> do you need to have a content strategy at all? I mean, a lot of times I see companies that are creating content because they're afraid not to because this is the thing to do and this is the buzz. And so they just do it and they're creating random acts of content because there really isn't a strategy behind it. So that would be the first question I, I have is, you know, why, you know, why? What um, now the other thing is that that sort of, you know, bothers me. It's kind of a red flag that they're saying, well, you know, we're putting a lot of money into this and we're not sure we're getting money out. And you know, one thing about content marketing is it takes time. It really does. It, it, it takes a lot of time. It's very rarely you get, you know, very fast uh, responses. The other thing I would look at is, um, do you have a chance to win? L have you looked at your competitors? And uh, one of the things that I start with, with my customers is um, there's every website has something called a domain authority score. And this is a representation of how Google might see your website on a scale of zero to 100. And the higher the number, the more traffic you're likely to get from Google. So if your competitors are like a 50 and you're a 10, you're not going to win, right? Now, if your competitors are a 20 and you're a 20, and they're really not doing much content, then you need to keep going. You know, you need to keep going because they're vulnerable. And then the third thing I would look at is, and by the way, that second point is huge because almost nobody even thinks about that. People just start creating content without, you know, sometimes they, 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 they never even have a hope. Well, the, the game's stacked against a lot of people, isn't it? It's, it's kind of companies have their cumulative advantage like the people that own seo that's they, exactly they've right. got it and they're protected and they're never and, they're, and they'll never you know it's they're it's almost un, impossible to unseat them at that point right so um so and then the third thing i would look at and again i mean there's there could be a million different things but the third thing is um are you doing enough to really stand out and, and win the attention of, of, your, of your customers. It's a very overwhelming world that's so dense with content. 
And I'll give you an example uh, that I just heard the other day, Adam, that since the pandemic began, the amount of information published on LinkedIn has doubled. So this is a business that's trying to connect with customers, let's say on LinkedIn, arguably your job is now twice as hard as it was 12 months ago. So just writing a few blog posts probably isn't enough. Just, you know, there's, it's got to be relevant and interesting and timely and entertaining. And you've also got to be the best in your niche. Because if you're not, they'll abandon you in a heartbeat and go someplace else. So, so those are really the three things I'd sort of look like look at, you know, at a very high level. What do you think? The same question that came to mind was, was your first one. It's like, why are you doing it? Like, are you doing it because somebody's advised you that you need to be doing content marketing, first of all? Because, you know, if somebody's an accountant, an accountancy firm, it is possible, and this is my assumption, that they are working in a maybe a, a, a specialization or that they're working in a local area or a regional area or something like that. They could have clients all over. But if you're in that, like, do you even necessarily need that whole content strategy? Because there are much better and more simple ways of reaching your target audience than having to do the the content hamster wheel, right? Constantly creating and all the rest of it, because it does, you know, that's what I, I think a lot of people mis, um, misunderstand is that it is a long-term play and you have to have the discipline and the consistency to do it over and over. You said you've been writing, you know, 600 blog posts every, every, every week, never missed a podcast episode in, in nine years. Like, that isn't by accident that you now have those accolades. And um, an example of somebody I had on the show is Pete Matthew. He's a financial advisor here in the UK, and um, he runs uh, Meaningful Money TV. Yeah, Pete's featured in my in my book, Known. He's a friend. Yeah, he's yeah. he's awesome. But he's a great yeah. example of somebody that's used content marketing. But he had a bit of a cumulative advantage. He followed his passion. He followed his curiosity and just got in at that point where – there wasn't many other financial advisors doing it. Mm-hmm. So he built that audience. I think so many people are in, obsessed about building an audience rather than building a business. Yeah. And I think that's what they're thinking about here potentially. I helped a young guy the other day. He was, um, he works for this company that sells like ladders and, and, you know, sort of like supplies, building supply stuff. And he said, well, I'm really having a trouble, trouble trying to figure out how to build my my social media community and i thought i just said why would someone want to be in a social media community about ladders i said have you have you been out to like visit your customers he said no i said do you have like delivery trucks delivering your stuff to customers he said yes i said well here is your marketing strategy for now go to your boss and tell him for the next two weeks, you're going to ride along on delivery trucks and you're going to go and see customers and you're going to talk to customers and you're going to see how your products are displayed, how the competitors are displayed, how they're positioned. You want to watch customers who are buying ladders. What are they looking? Do they have, you know, do they have coupons? Do they like it because it's a certain color or is made? I said, that's where you've got to start is really learning your product, your customers, their customers, your competitors. Uh, it's not with a social media community. So often this is a big, big problem in marketing. We're in the navel gazing. 
we're just smoking too much of our own exhaust, right? And 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 we're too self-important. We think we're just too self-important. It's all about our narrative, the arc of our story, our content, Mark. You know, we've just lost sight of what we're supposed to be doing here, you know, very, very often. Yeah, people talk about telling telling your story. It's like, honestly, your customers, your clients, they don't care. They yeah. care about their life, where they are now. They've got a problem. They want something solved. They want help. They want an outcome. They want a solution. Yeah. If within your marketing, your you know your content, whatever you want to, like you you you, there's the, the old saying like you market the problem, mm. not your product. Yeah, like right. maybe that's something in your content that you're you you're not you're not really going in. You're sort of talking about the industry. Maybe you're using too much jargon, and maybe the engagement you're seeing is other accountants thinking, oh, that's interesting. And that's yeah, why you're not getting sales. So right, there are right. multiple, multiple reasons why your content yeah. might not be doing what you want it to do. So it's a difficult question, but this is more to give you some food for thought to go back to and consider and ask yourself some questions because you all know the answer. It's in you already. Right. Would be my guess. Go back and think, why am I doing this? Is it the right strategy? Do I need yeah. to rethink? Is it the right kind of content? Have I really got to know and defined my client, my ideal client? Do I know what it's like to walk around a day in their shoes? Mm. Because until I know that, I can't market the problem. And then I can't position my delivery mechanism, which is essentially what a service and accountancy is. It's a mechanism for achieving a result. That's mm. the only time I can then actually sort of put my option in front of them. And maybe the last thing to think about is, are you making enough offers <laughs> on, your, on your content? Like, are you, you know, calls to action? This is the next step because whether you're writing an email, whether you're writing a blog post, whether you're doing anything, you're always sort of got to think, right, what is the next step? We all too often try and sell the, you know, the big thing. You're selling the next step. Like, what's the next step in your content? Don't just think, right, go and buy my stuff. Think next step. What's that next step? An email subject line is the next step is get it opened. The first line to get the next line written. It's the same with every bit of content. So those are just some things to think about. And yeah, no, Mark, I appreciate you sort of spending the extra time for me uh, yeah. uh, to, to go through that. I mean, it's um, it's a good it, it's a good exercise and a good brainstorm. So to, to have someone with your experience as well, and interesting to know that uh, you know Pete. I know Pete, and I know Ian Anderson Gray. Ian, 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 Ian Anderson Gray has been at my home in Tennessee. Awesome. Well, I, I, I attribute so much to him and helping me sort of um, just those little things. And, and, and we met, funny enough, we were at a mastermind and we met the next mastermind and just happened to be on the same table. And I had to sit next to him and say, you have no idea that you did this, yeah. but here's what I can tell you. And he was like, wow. So I've been on his show, um, which is fantastic. He's been on mine. Um, I was on the 50th episode as well. So like, it's just wonderful that little things like that add to a cumulative advantage and all the rest of it. Um, Mark, if they want to get your book, obviously Amazon. Yeah, Amazon, you know, Barnes, Barnes and Noble. Um, you can, I mean, I've, I've written a lot of really helpful books about personal branding and marketing rebellion is sort of a wake up call about what, you know, what kind of marketing really works today. Mm. Um, cumulative advantage, of course, content code, if you're struggling with content problems, about how do we stand out in this world of, of content shock. And you can find everything at businessesgrow.com. You can also find my blog, my podcast, and all my social media connections there. Definitely go and check it out and, um, and connect with Mark because he's someone you will want to connect to. 
I'm humbled and honoured and very, very much appreciative of you joining me, Mark. So I uh, just want to say thank you ever so much and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. So that's it for this episode. I hope you found it valuable. I hope you got some great ideas that you can take away and apply to your business to help you grow. If you did, please share it with somebody else that might also find this valuable because they will thank you for it. Also, to let you know that I have a podcast gift page where I put a lot of resources that I love to share with my listeners. You can find the links to join the Facebook community there and you can get my book, the Conversational Relationship Marketing and the audiobook version all for free, plus a number of other resources I'll be adding over time on that page. So make sure you head there to thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash podcast gift and you can help yourself to the things that make most sense to you. And if you have enjoyed the show, please make sure you're subscribed. You'll get updated as the new episodes come out. And finally, last favor, please consider giving the show your honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I read every single one. They mean the world for me. I love hearing from my listeners and it does help others find the show as well. So if you want to go and do that, I'd really appreciate it. But until next time, have an awesome day and we'll speak soon.